0: Sing, let's pray to Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we're just so thankful for your love for us. We're thankful for your mercy and for your grace. Yes. For the day that heaven did come down and glory filled our soul. That you looked at us as we were in the muck and the mire of sin. You reached down, we took your hand, and you put our feet upon a solid rock. Amen. Thank you for the precious blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. Yes. As we come before you this morning, Lord, we ask and pray that as we continue to lift up our voices in worship and in prayer, that we'd honor you with what we do. Be with the preaching of the word this morning. Be with the junior church downstairs as the word goes forth. Meet with us today in a very special way. Help us to sense the very presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. For we ask all this now in his precious name. Amen.
1: Colossians chapter 3 is our text today. If you're joining us for the first time or you haven't been here in a little while, we've been working our way through Paul's letter to the Colossians. And it's a really wonderful book. And this passage today, I'm really excited about. So if you didn't come in excited today to study Colossians, I hope that you can reach into the depths of your soggy soul from this week and find some enthusiasm for Colossians chapter 3. But maybe you did. Maybe you came in, and you were just raring and ready to go. So, either way, there's something here for you today. Do you believe that? All right, but let's start with our theme verse, because the theme is Jesus first, and our theme verses are Colossians 1:16 through 18. So, we are going to read those verses together. Colossians 1, 16 through 18. Ready? Begin. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and pause back up to verse 16. Now, the first few weeks you would have read this verse and you would have said thrones, dominions, principalities or powers. And you might have said what is that talking about? But last week, we talked about that. So now you know. Or go back and listen to it, because really a key theme in the book. So all things were created by him and for him. Now let's try verse 17 together, ready? And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Say that word again, the what? Preeminence. preeminence. That means there's a lot of important things, a lot of eminent things, things that, that we've got to focus on in our life, but then there's only one who is preeminent. He comes before everything else that is important. He comes before your family. He comes before your spouse. He comes before your job. He comes before a career. He comes before everything And that is Jesus. He comes first. And that's what Colossians is all about. And so each week we've looked at a different theme of how Jesus is first. Or what it means to make Jesus first. Well, I'm going to show you something this morning about a Jesus first identity. A Jesus first identity. So let's pick it up in Colossians 3. And let's look at verses 1 through 4. That's all we're going to look at today. Colossians 3. 1 through 4. Look at the opening statement. If ye then be risen with Christ. I would mark that if I were taking notes this morning because that's going to be important. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above above not on things on the earth for ye are what's it say now you probably weren't expecting that when you got up to come to church this morning you are dead we'll talk about what that means for ye are dead and i love this statement and your life is hid it's hidden it's your life is hidden with christ in God. And then verse 4 ups the ante a little bit more. Verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Work your way quickly through it. Just noticing the, the back through it again, just noticing the, the highlights here. Verse number, verse number 1, verse number 1 Risen. You are risen with Christ. Verse number three. Your life is hid with Christ. Verse number four. When Christ who is our life. Are you seeing the theme here? That all of our lives... Now, of course, this passage of Scripture, it begins with a conditional statement. In fact, look back at verse number one again. It begins with what? If. If you are risen with Christ. Now, in the following verses, he explains that the people he's talking to, they are risen with Christ. So this is really, uh, in the Greek, this is, I think it's a first-class condition, and it's when you use if in the sense of since. And so, depending on what uh, translation you have, sometimes it will say since since. You are risen with Christ. But the question is this. You may be in here today, and you need to know for certain that your life belongs to Jesus. You need to know for certain that there's been a time in your life where you've given your life to Christ. So pay attention throughout the message this morning, because I don't want to assume that everybody in here has made that important decision to to repent of their sin and put their full faith and trust in Jesus. So if you're not sure about that, listen carefully, and we'll have a clear understanding of that by the end of the message today. But he's speaking to people who have made that decision. And the statements that we looked at, risen with Christ, your life is hid with Christ, when Christ who is is our life, all of those statements really are, they deal with the identity of who a person is. Now, every culture has its issues that the Bible just speaks to dramatically. At different times in history, there have been different cultural movements that the Bible had a really clear message for that just resonated with the times. This theme of identity, who a person is, How a person defines themselves, just who am I as a person, this is a question that is so relevant to today's culture in which we live. We see people exploring their identity, reinventing their identity. Are you with me? You understand what I'm talking about? This is a a major theme where people grow up and they go through life and they ask the question, well, who am I really? Now, do you understand, that is not a question that a lot of people would have asked in previous days. People, people, even 70, 100 years ago, they didn't go through major life moments where they said, well, who really am I down deep inside? The fact is, in a traditional culture, that was pretty much decided for you, wasn't it? Anybody here grown up, uh, maybe you're, you're a little more advanced in years, and you grew up in a very Italian home, in an Italian culture. So I got a couple of hands out there. All right, there's a few. There was no question of who you were or what it meant to be in your family. There's a set of expectations that came. How many of you, any any Polish family folks in here? Okay, I got a few out there, right? There was no question about self-discovery. And Throughout history, in a lot of ways, that's how people, the family you were born in, the culture you were a part of, it just just defined who who you were. And really, in the last 50 years, a lot of people have broken free from that kind of generational bondage. Maybe you did. Maybe you were somebody that grew up and your parents had expectations for you, your grandparents had expectations for you, the 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 culture that you were part of, they had expectations for you. And you said, wait a minute, I'm gonna break the mold. Was there anybody in here? You'd say, Yeah, that was me. I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna beat the expectations, I'm gonna do it my way. How many know what I'm talking about? Okay. And in some ways, that's healthy. Should we live our lives? primarily based on the expectations of other people? Yes or no? No, not a trick question. Not a trick question. We don't live our lives based on the expectations of other people. But what has happened in exchange is once we have freed ourselves from the shackles of other people's expectations, now who gets to decide what our life is all about? Or who is left with that difficult task of deciding who I'm supposed to be. Who is it? It's me. Now the burden is on me. I've freed myself. I've freed myself from what others think I'm I'm supposed to be, but now I am left to determine who I'm supposed to be. And so, in fact, people will say things like this. They'll say things, and you could find this in greeting cards if you're a recent graduate or something like that. You need to go out and find yourself. Or the biggest value of the day is, look at who you are and be true to yourself. You're resonating with these statements, they're popular statements. Look inside, discover who you're going to be. And then once you discover that, you need to express your true self. So now the pressure has been taken off of conforming to someone else, but now I am left with a myriad of choices. And now our society is telling us, well, it's got, not only now do you have to decide what kind of job you're going to have and what kind of family you're going to have, but now our society says you're going to determine like, what kind of, what gender you want to be. You're going to decide what sex you want to be. Everything is up for grabs. And I just look at the world and I think, you know what? I have a hard time deciding what I want on a menu for dinner. Never mind which, which identity construct I'm going to have for my life. And so our society has left one form of bondage and put and embraced the, it's left the bondage of others and it's embraced the bondage of the self and self-discovery. If you're struggling to understand what is going on in the world right now, that is exactly what has happened. And I'm not, I didn't invent this little construction. This is something that sociologists and people are talking about. This is the reality of the world in which we live in. So be careful of the things that that you're hearing. Bring them to the scriptures. Because a statement that sounds warm and fuzzy, find yourself, be true to yourself, be authentic, express your true self, is actually the complete opposite of what Jesus said. Because Jesus did not say, find yourself. He said what? Lose yourself. Lose yourself. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25, and this is echoed in Luke's gospel as well, but in Matthew chapter 16, we have the words of Jesus recorded. Then said Jesus to his disciples, if any man will come after me. In other words, if someone wants to be a follower, if someone wants to follow Jesus, the first step is to what? Deny yourself and take up your cross. The cross was an instrument of death. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Now look at verse 25. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall what? Find it. What Paul is going to talk about is he's really going to unpack what Jesus said in Matthew 16 in these verses. What we're going to see is an identity that is based on your relationship with Jesus Christ is the only true and lasting way for you to understand yourself. You see, it is Jesus, our creator. Well, let me not get too far ahead of myself. But this losing our life in order to find our life is what Paul speaks about in verse number one. Look again at Colossians 3.1. If you are then, or since you are, in Colossians 3 verse number one, if you are risen with Christ, if you are risen with Christ, the first thing that we notice here is there is, number one, a risen life. The life of the Christian is the risen life. Now, when it says here, if you are risen with Christ, it's going back, it's pointing to a historical event, and that historical event would be what? The first historical, actually, there's two historical events. One is historical for all people, and the second is historical personally. But the first historical event that this is going back to is what? Well, not the cross, the empty tomb, right? It's the empty tomb. It's the resurrection of Jesus. The, the, the fundamental belief of Christianity, the fundamental teaching of Christianity, is that Jesus did not just die on the cross, but that he physically and bodily rose from the dead. That on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. That's, the Bible says that if you want to be a Christian, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, and thou shalt be saved. That's the fundamental belief of Christianity, that Jesus rose from the dead. But there's a second event, there's a second historical event that was much more personal in the lives of the readers. If the first was the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, what is the second historical event? Well, that's coming later. That's a future event. Anybody see what it is? There was a moment, not just that Jesus rose from the dead, but speaking to each believer personally, there was a moment when you rose from the dead. There was a moment when you rose from the dead. You see, Christianity is not primarily a decision that we make, although a decision is involved. But Christianity, becoming a Christian, is a supernatural event where you come to Jesus in faith, and he raises you from spiritual death. You see, we're spiritually dead. We're sinful. Because of our sin, we're separated from God. But Jesus says he came not to help hurting people. He came to bring back to life dead people, to take spiritually dead people and give them new life in Christ that we are, there's a reality, you have been risen with Christ. But there's not just a reality, a spiritual reality of our risen life, but there's a position. There is a position. I want to ask this question, what does the resurrection mean for Christians? What does the resurrection mean for Christians? Now, a lot of times, it's reduced to this. Well, the resurrection is the proof that Jesus is who he said he was. How many of you have heard that before? And that's a good proof. The resurrection is the proof. So in other words, they talk and talk about Jesus' death. His, death. his death, his death, his death. He died for our sins. He died for our sins. And to prove that he could die for our sins, he rose from the dead. Almost like it's the, one person put it this way, almost like it's the magic trick that proved that everything he said was right. Here's a miracle to do it. But the scriptures speak about the resurrection in much more specific terms. That the res, just like the death of Jesus specifically atoned for our sins... It is the resurrection of Jesus that creates a new life for us. It is the resurrection that has new realities for us. And in fact, there is a new position that we have. Look what it says at the end of the verse. We are risen with Christ, so we seek things that are above where Christ sits where? On the right hand of God. And this is something that is a bit mystical and hard to understand. But if Jesus right now is seated at the right hand of God. Do you know who else is seated there? We are. You say, well, how do you know? It doesn't say that in this passage. There's a parallel passage. Look at Ephesians. It's right on your handout. Ephesians 2. This is where Paul speaks about the resurrection again. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, Even when we were what? Are you following me? In Ephesians 2, 5, it's in your handout or on the screen. Even when we were what? Dead in sins. God has what? He's quickened us. That means he breathed life into us. He gave us breath. He gave us life. He hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved. And hath raised us up together. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. The resurrection means that as sure as as Christ is in heaven at the right hand of the Father, so am I. When I became a Christian, when I became a Christian, I did not just get a reservation in heaven, but because of my relationship with Christ, spiritually speaking, I am already there. You say, I don't understand. Me neither. I don't. It's not something that can be easily illustrated, it's not something that can be easily explained. But it's a spiritual fact that as Christ is there, as Christ is before God, I am there, present in Christ, because I know Jesus as my Savior. The resurrection. We're going to see some things more about what this resurrection means for the Christian. So in verse number one, we're pointed to a risen life. Now, verse number three, I want you to skip down to verse number three. It is not only a risen life in Christ, but it is a hidden life in Christ. Verse number three for ye are dead. And your life is hid with Christ and God. Those first four words, for ye are dead. You wouldn't think at first glance that those are words of encouragement, would you? Doesn't sound very encouraging. For ye are dead. But I want you to understand that these are the most liberating words in this whole passage. For ye are dead. This is a theme, if you like to study this, just write a little note to go later on and read Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 is a great place to see this explained somewhere else. We don't have time to see it today. Now, if you've got a pretty awesome life, you wouldn't want to see it die, would you? You're like, uh, no. (laughs) No. Not a hard question. If you had a pretty awesome life, but if you knew, but if you had a pretty awful life, if you had a pretty awful life, and you knew that you could say goodbye to it forever and you could start all over again, would that be good news? If you were a drug addict, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, Because maybe some of you have been in the past. Maybe somebody is now. If you were a drug addict, would you want a new kind of life? If you were in a cycle of terrible relationships over and over and over again, would you want a new life? No? You don't? Anybody would? Thank you. Thank you. So what could you do? What do people do? Well, people do this. They say, you know what? You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna gonna do a little self-improvement workshop, okay? I'm gonna change my life. I'm gonna make things better. I'm gonna stop these these destructive behaviors. And so I'm I'm gonna work on myself. I'm gonna work on myself. I'm going to get better. I'm going to improve and I'm going to turn over a new leaf and I'm going to have a better kind of life. Would that be a good thing to try? Of course. But in the back of your mind would always be would always be the thought that this though is who I am and always i might slip back into who i how i used to behave in fact and i don't mean this please take this really careful like don't misunderstand me i'm not denigrating this organization because it's helped tons of people for instance the alcoholics anonymous group or the narcotics anonymous group is a wonderful organization that's helped a lot of people but there's just one problem that you'll find in their teaching And this doesn't mean you should reject the group. If it helps, you know, you should use it. But there's one problem. And the teaching is this. Once an alcoholic, what? Always an alcoholic. Apply that to anything in your life. Once, once addicted, always addicted. Once relational dysfunction, always. Once, always, once, always. The Bible message is completely different, because it's not just about finding a higher power to help you. The Bible message is about this, saying, no, I might have been an alcoholic, but because of Christ, the alcoholic is dead, and I am alive in Christ. Once, I may have been, I may have been, addicted to to sexual sin and addicted to pornography and 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 all that stuff that might have been who who I was once but I am dead that person is dead because when Christ died on the cross if you have received him as your savior if you have given your life to Christ the Bible says that on the cross when Jesus died he died for your sins But he also died for your shame. He died for every wrong that you could have done. So now that old person no longer exists. Now that doesn't mean that you don't still have old temptations. It doesn't mean that there aren't things that you remember. But by the way, that will all be done away in the resurrection. There is coming a day when even the temptations of the the old dead man are gone. And that's the resurrection day that's coming. That's what the resurrection means for us. But the fact is this, who you were because of the cross is dead. Th- that is, that's why Christianity, so many people have said this, and it's, it's, it's a good way to think of it, not always perfect, but Christianity is not so much a religion. Because when people think religion, they think, well, what do I have to do? What do I have to become? What habits do I need to put in my life? Now, there is a religious component to Christianity, so it's not entirely bad. But fundamentally, it is, not about, it is not about the religious things I perform. It is about the forgiveness and transformation that I receive. It's not about what I achieve. It's about what I've received in Christ and the relationship I have with him. You're dead. That's the best news you could have heard this morning. You're dead and your life is hidden. I love that. How many of you, when you were a kid, you ever found something really special and you didn't want anybody to know about it, okay? Some of you? You're like, this is all mine, finders keepers, losers weepers. This is mine and I'm holding on to it. And maybe anybody, have you had a hiding spot for your goodies? Who had a, who had a hiding spot, right, okay? And you can even right now think of what that, where that was. You know where it was. What did you do? You take what is precious and you hide it away somewhere. Can I share this with you? The world doesn't value your life at all. The world doesn't value your life at all. All the people who say, rediscover yourself, reinvent yourself, declare your own identity, they may have some amount of compassion for you but ultimately if your life just ends up being a shipwreck how do they lose out there's no your life is not precious to the to to other people ultimately but you can be confident that your life is of ultimate value to jesus to your creator and he says you are mine some of you might know the parable where Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure in the field, and he goes and he sells everything that he has so he can buy that treasure. Now most people think that that parable is referring to somebody who becomes a Christian, saying, "You know what? I'll let go of the world and I'll give everything to follow Christ." They might be right, but there are other people who say, "No, the best way to understand that par- that parable is Jesus finds the treasure in the field." And he gives all of himself to purchase his kingdom, to purchase his people. Now, whether or not that's the meaning of the parable or not, the truth is the same. Your life is precious to to Christ, so precious that when you gave it to him, he came and he says, all right, let me take this and let me bring it to my father and let me put your soul in a safe place where nobody can get to it. Nobody can find it. You see, it says, you see, you are forever changed. A couple of things, I got a little ahead of myself, but the, the dead part, you see, salvation fundamentally changed your spiritual DNA. You just aren't the same person anymore because of Christ. But then salvation gave you a relationship with Christ, with Jesus, and then it gave you ultimate security because your life is hidden With Christ, you see the prepositions there? Your life is in with Christ, in God. Ultimate security. So get this statement. This is on the second inside page right in the middle of your notes. I want you to get this. What does this mean in practical terms? When your identity is shaped... And created by God, it is indestructible. Did you catch that? When who you are, when your understanding of yourself, when your identity is shaped and created by God, it is indestructible because it is hidden with Christ in God. I want to read you something. I came across this. I think the Lord led me to this. It was an accident. I wasn't looking for it. But I talk about an indestructible identity, and I came across an article in the Atlantic magazine from December 28, 2021. The author's name is Honor Jones, and this is the title of the article. How I Demolished My Life, a Home Improvement Story. How many of you are like HGTV people? Uh, you know, Chip and Joanna, and you know, all that, uh, the property guys, and you watch all that stuff, you know, so it's a big thing, right? This is a woman that tells, she's a very gifted writer, and what you're about to hear is troubling, so I want you not to listen to this judgmentally, but listen to this compassionately. She writes about her Pennsylvania farmhouse that they were in the middle of renovating, And she writes very cleverly, it's fascinating. But she then applies it to her life. I had wanted, I thought, soapstone counters and a farmhouse sink. Anybody resonate there? I wanted an island and a breakfast nook and two narrow vertical cabinets on either side of the stove. One could be for cutting boards and one could be for baking sheets. I followed a cabinetry company called Plain English on Instagram. I screenshotted its pantries, which came in paint colors like kipper and boiled egg. Plain English cost a fortune. But around a corner in the back of its New York showroom, you could check out the budget version called British Standard. But it cost a fortune too. I wish there was a budget British Standard. I wish there was a room behind that room, the cabinets getting flimsier and flimsier until a door opened and let me back into my own lousy American kitchen, just as it was. My husband talked to the architect, my husband talked to the builder, and I kept paring the plans down, down, making them cheaper, making them simpler. I nixed the island and found a stainless steel work table at a restaurant supply store online for 299. I started fantasizing about replacing the counters with two-by-fours on sawhorses and hanging the pots from nails on the wall. Now she transitions. Slowly, I realized I didn't want this kitchen. Slowly, I realized I didn't want this life. I didn't want to renovate. I wanted to get divorced. I didn't have a secret life, but I had a secret dream life, which might have been worse. I loved my husband. It's not that I didn't but i felt that he was standing between me and the world between me and myself again don't listen judgmentally listen as christ would listen because this is the struggle of more than one she's just she's just putting pen to paper the heart's cry of an identity driven generation i felt that he was standing between me and the world between me and myself Everything I experienced, relationships, reality, my own understanding of my own identity and desires were filtered through him before I could access them. The worst part was it wasn't remotely his fault. That is probably exactly what I asked him to do when we were 21 and first in love, even if I never said it out loud. To shelter me from the elements, to be caring and broad shoulders. But now it was like I was always on my tiptoes trying to see around him. I couldn't see, but I could imagine... I started imagining other lives, other homes. And she writes many more words, but this is her conclusion. She tells the story of divorcing, moving to New York City, creating a new life with her ex-husband and her child. But this is her conclusion. Maybe I'm deluding myself. Maybe I'm not free of anything, and I just want different objects, a different home. Maybe someday, admit it, a different man. Maybe I'm starting the same story all over again. For what, you'd ask me, and you'd be right. But I don't think so. I think I'm making something new. And that's the story, just put different circumstances around it, of the cry, the empty cry of our generation. I think I'll make something new. Could it all be for nothing? Maybe. But I'm going to try something new. I'm going to rediscover myself. And remember the title of the article, How I Demolished My Life. But when your identity is shaped and created by God, it is indestructible never be demolished Jesus said a wise man There there once was a wise man and he built his house where on a rock the wind came the storm blew but that house on the rock it stood firm he said there's a foolish man who built his house on sand the wind came the wind blew And great was the fall of that house. You see, you've got to build your life on Christ. Because why? It's a glory life. Look at verse number four. It's not just a hidden life and a risen life. It's a glory life. Look at verse four. There's a future to it. There's both a present and a future. When Christ who what? When Christ who, say it, is our life. When Christ who is our life. You see, in the present, Jesus is not just a part of our lives as Christians, but Jesus is the very force that animates our lives. Jesus, friends, Jesus is the reason that we should get up out of bed in the morning. He is the power to sustain our marriages. He is the power to influence our children. He is the power to, to help us to, he is the power for us to accomplish even in our careers and our jobs. Our life is Jesus. If it's anything life, if it's anything else, it's built on an unsure foundation. It's built on something that can be destroyed. Don't find your own source of life. Make Christ the source of your life. You see, Jesus is our present source of life. And I thought about that. He's more than an example. It's great to have an example to follow. Oh, I want to be like Jesus. But I don't just want to be like Jesus. I want Jesus to be everything in me. That's the message of the scriptures, that's the Christian message, it's a present source of life, and then it's a future that is certain, look at this, it's certain, it says in verse number 24, when Christ shall appear, when Christ shall appear, not if Christ shall appear, but what, when Christ appears, when he comes, just as certain as Jesus came once, he is coming again, There is a future date where the Lord will return when Christ shall appear. He's a present source of life. He gives me a future that's certain and he gives me a future that is glorious because it says when Christ shall appear, who is our life, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. With him in glory. I've got difficult news for you. Everything in this life may not work out exactly as you hoped it would. Have you found that to be true already? There's things like cancer. There's things like betrayal. There's things like abandonment. There's things like disability. There's a lot of troubles in this life. But Jesus says, but wait just a minute, because there is a future day. There is a future day when Christ will appear, and you will appear with him in glory. In glory. What does the resurrection mean? The risen life. What does this mean? It means that because Jesus rose from the dead, everything is going to be okay. You said, but the the diagnosis is terminal. I listened recently to some of the final words of Dr. Tim Keller, who's a Christian influencer of just had such an impact over the last 30 years of ministry. He was diagnosed with with terminal pancreatic cancer about three years ago. And just a few months ago, he died. And I listened to one of his last interviews. And he and his wife, he said, would get together and talk. And he wrote about the resurrection of Jesus when he was healthy so much. Helped a lot of people. But he said, Kathy and I talk, and we said, wait a minute. If this cancer takes me, it's going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Why? Because he believed that Jesus rose from the dead. And he believed that there was a real, a real life to come. That The, the Bible teaches that we will really be, bo- be physically resurrected. Not only are we getting new bodies... But we're getting a new heaven and a new earth. When Jesus said, The meek shall inherit the earth, he wasn't speaking metaphorically. The children of God are going to receive a world that is better than this world that you've experienced. You've never tasted food so good, you've never had had recreation so enjoyable, you've never had worship so powerful, you've never seen a sunset so beautiful as you will in the new heaven and the new earth. So, the message is, yes, if you, if you have Jesus in your life, yes, your life today is going to get better, but it may not meet your expectations. But your future will exceed your wildest imaginations. Eternity in Christ will be everything. Everything. So what does that mean? It means this. Did you notice we skip verse number two? It means this. If you're risen with Christ, in verse number two, so now Christian, set your heart after God. All of your affection, all of your joys, all of your passions, don't focus them where? Don't focus them on the earth. Focus them on Christ. Focus them on Jesus and his goodness and his plan for you. Christ is our life. Can I ask you this? Most important question of the whole message. Are you sure, I mean certain, that there has been a time in your life where you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? I want you to think about it. Can you say with certainty, Ethan, yes, I have put all of my faith and trust in Jesus. I believe he died for me. I believe he rose again. And there was a day when I said, Jesus, please save me. I'm trusting you to save me. Has that ever happened? If right now you're like, I don't know, I'm just not sure, well, why don't you make sure today? Why not, why not right now say, you know what? I do believe that. I do believe that Jesus is, the, is my Savior. I do believe in His resurrection. I do believe that one day I could go to be with Him. And so I'm going to confess Him as Lord today. I'm going to today make sure that my faith is in Christ. Why don't you make that certain this morning? If you say, yeah, I'd like to do that, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. There's nothing magic about the prayer But the prayer is just an opportunity for you to make certain that you've put your faith in Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. This is a a still moment, so I just ask that people not be moving around and we just, just talk with the Lord. If you're not sure that you've ever trusted Christ and you want to make sure today, It's really about the belief of your heart. If your heart says, yes, I believe, then just confess that with your mouth. Right now, pray this with me. Say, dear God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. I believe, Jesus, that you died for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the dead to give me new life. So I repent of my sin and I put my faith in you, Jesus. Please save me. Please save me. With our heads still bowed and eyes closed, I'd like to pray for you. If you made sure today, whether you're in the room or you're watching on the live stream, if you'd say, Ethan, today I just made sure. I made sure that I was trusting Christ and Christ alone. I won't call out your name. I won't embarrass you or do anything like that but I want to just privately pray for you. So if you made sure this morning, would you just quickly and quietly slip up your hand and put it down? No one's looking, just say, you know what, today I made sure. Just a hand up and a hand down so I could pray for you. If you're watching this video, would you send a private message? Say, hey, pray for me. I put my faith in Jesus today. Now with the rest of the time that we have, I'm going to ask Aaron and Josiah to come right now and just play some music. This is an invitation time. This is a time for each of us, for each of us to talk with the Lord. Maybe you'd say, yes, I am a believer, but my, boy, I am just so focused on all the things of this life. I have forgotten that Jesus is my life. I have forgotten that Jesus is to be the focused. And maybe you want to right now just take a minute and quietly pray. Let God speak to your heart, pray to him. If you'd like to pray with somebody, just come and join me on the front row. I'll be praying there. If you need somebody to pray with you, I'd be more than happy to take a minute and pray with you. But let's just have a quiet time with the Lord right now. Lord, thank you so much that you are our cornerstone. You are our solid rock. As we sing these last words to you, I pray that they'd come from grateful hearts. I pray that we'd lift our voices out of gratitude and just awe that you would give everything to find us, to make us your special hidden treasure. We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413 662 2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.